It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Uh, Quick, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you guys probably have. If you found this podcast, you can find PowerMizzou.com. If you haven't, we had a uh, an eleven thousand word oral history on Mizzou's move from the Big Twelve to the SEC this morning. It's gotten a lot of play on social media. A lot of you have probably already read it. If you haven't, check it out. Uh, some incredibly candid responses, especially from uh, former athletic director Mike Alden. But we won't spend any more time talking about that. We are going to get back on the football field and Missouri back at it, looking to break a fairly dreadful two game losing streak as they welcome Middle Tennessee to. Faroe Field on Saturday afternoon for homecoming, and we're going to talk about it with Casey Bowman. He's the publisher of GoMiddle.com, which covers Middle Tennessee for the Rivals.com network. Casey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Gabe, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to talk with us. And uh, first of all, just want to ask you kind of uh, the impression from this side of Middle Tennessee is, boy, they wing the ball all over the place. They can score some points. The defense might be a question mark. Is the 30,000-foot view, uh, how close is that to accurate? Yeah, you know, I'd say that uh, you're not too far off the beaten path there. Uh, yeah, I mean, offensively, uh, I don't think it's any any big secret now, at least uh, uh, from, a, from a national perspective, uh, you know, with Tony Franklin running the offense and a quarterback like Brent Stocksville, they've, they've been really – kind of uh, hitting their stride all year and, and, and really putting up some, some beastly-type numbers. Uh, but uh, you're right, on the defensive side, there's still uh, still some holes and some question marks uh, with a unit that you know seems to be a little bit deeper than they've been in years past, but definitely not uh, performing up to uh, expectations. How, uh, how good is Stockstill? Barry Odom uh, spoke this week, said he recruited him at Memphis and was very impressed with him then and now. How good is this kid? Yeah, you know, well, he, you know, for starters, he's he's a coach's son, so he's a guy that's you know been around the game of football really his entire life. Um, you know, in his dad Rick, you know, he was a quarterback for Florida State, so you know, not only has he been around the game, but he's been around quarterbacks and he's been around this position his you know his entire life. You know, he's uh, from an intangible perspective. You know, there's not many throws that he can't make. You know, he's a little bit more mobile than I think people give him credit for as well. Um, I think where he kind of stands out is. You know his uh, his pocket awareness and just his footwork in the pocket. You know to to watch him uh, on tape is is really a thing of beauty from time to time. And and he, you know he's at a point now. You know he's a sophomore, but he's probably the oldest sophomore in the nation. <laughs> uh, so he's so he's got a lot of years under his belt. You know just uh, being with middle and you know kind of being with this offense and and uh, you know it's it's showing. You know he's uh, he's hitting a stride. Uh, you know every every single week it seems. And obviously his dad's the coach there. I mean, was there uh, – obviously plenty of other people recruited him. Was there ever any real question where he was going to school? Yeah, so, you know, the funny thing is he actually signed with Cincinnati uh, out of high school, um, you know, and we covered Brent and, you know, obviously the connection with his dad right there when, when he was in high school. And, you know, the consensus we got there was, you know, hey, you know, we're, I'm not going to stop him from going anywhere he wants to go. You know, he he had a quote unquote offer from Middle. You know, obviously with his, with his dad being the coach and everything. But you know, he was he was a great player coming out of high school. You know, for for Seagull High, which is a local local team here. Um, you know, the I think the thing that kind of hurt him a little bit on the recruiting trail too was you know he tore his ACL in his senior year. 
um, towards the end. I think a lot of schools kind of backed off when that happened. Uh, just, you know, questions on how, you know, how soon he could get back. But, you know, he signed with Cincinnati and then, you know, he went to Cincinnati and, he, and he's with practice. And I guess he was home for, for some sort of break or whatnot. And him and his dad were driving around town and, it, you know, it came up and, you know, he told Rick, you know, all I ever wanted to do was play for you, dad. And, uh, you know, you know, tugging on the heartstrings aside. Yeah, that's a cool know, story. Uh, very next... Right, yeah, really great story, you know, and, um, you know, and, and the rest was history. So, he, you know, he transferred in and, you know, he took his red, took a gray shirt, actually, to, to begin out and then took a red shirt. So, you know, I touched on him being the oldest sophomore in the nation. I think he's a 22-year-old you know, 22 sophomore. So, wow. uh, but, yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a great story, you know. Um, you know, coming out of high school, I think everybody kind of expected him to go to middle. But then, you know, when he signed with Cincinnati, he was like, well, that, you know, that's that. You know, what's, what's next? And uh, so it's a, it's a great, great story to tell. So he obviously gets a lot of the headlines. He's thrown, I think, the third most passes in the country. But uh, somebody's got to catch him. I mean, who are the biggest concerns, uh, the, the biggest weapons? Yeah, so there's there's one primary weapon. Uh, you know, his name is Richie James. Uh, you know, he's a sophomore himself. He, he had a, uh, just a fantastic freshman campaign, and he's really kind of picked right up where he's left off. You know, he's, he's sitting, you know, through six games with 57 catches. You know, last week against Western Kentucky, you know, he called in 16 passes for about 230 yards and a couple touchdowns. So he's, uh, he's a guy that's a, a dynamic threat. He, you know, he was a track guy out of high school in Florida, uh, a little bit undersized, so therefore, you know, under-recruited. And Middle really kind of lucked out with him. He's, he's got great hands, great speed, and his, his vision is just is uncanny uh, for somebody that, you know, that, that raw uh, at the position. But, you know, he's fantastic for, for Middle, and they really needed him to step up this year. They You know, they've lost – uh, you know, four of their starting wide receivers are gone for the year. They lost three of them in fall camp before the season even got started. Lost the fourth one in the season opener. So, um, you know, aside from Richie James, it's really just this this cast of revolving characters. Um, you know, there's a, there's a true freshman. His name's Ty Lee. Uh, pretty highly touted recruit coming out of high school. He's a three-star kid. Um, you know, another guy who's pretty small. You know, everybody kind of anticipated he'd, he you know he'd get a red shirt year and get a year in the weight room and kind of you know develop a little bit more, but. You know, when the injury bug hit, his name got called up. And, you know, as we stand right now, he's second on the team in receptions. He's got 30 catches for 300 yards. Um, and, and, you know, he's he's proven to be uh, a reliable target for, for Stockstill in some crunch time situations. And then, you know, from there you, you look at, uh, you know, there's a guy named Patrick Smith. He's a walk-on, you know, uh, who's, you know, fourth on the team in receptions. Dennis Andrews is another name, a guy that just transferred in from Georgia Tech right before camp started really had no bearings of the offense or, or what he was getting himself into and got thrust into the situation. And he's responded well pretty too. So they've, uh, you know, it's, it's been the, a next man up mentality, but uh, that offense really lives and dies with the, uh, with the Stockstill to James connection. All right. So defensively, they, they gave up 44 to Western Kentucky last week, 34 to Louisiana tech earlier this year, 47 to Vandy. Um, what, what's been the problem and where's the strength and the weakness on that defense? You know that's uh, you know that's the the million dollar question. I think you know here we are six games in and we don't really know what the strength of the defense is. You know heading into the season, you, know, you look at their defensive line; they they're full of seniors. You've got all these guys that are you know full full of experience and you know have had plenty of reps through the years. So the idea coming in the year was okay. Well, they've got some 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 new uh, pieces in place in the secondary. 
uh, you know, a revamped you know, defensive line is going to help them out. But that really hasn't been the case. You know, they, they've had some success here and there. But you look at just Western Kentucky last week, you know, the, the pressure was, uh, was non-existent for them. And, you know, as a result, Western was able to kind of pick middle apart in the secondary. So, you know, they, they've, they've got a lot of pieces that, they, that they've put into play this year. You know, they lost a lot of pieces off of the defense last year, which also wasn't necessarily the, the best defensive unit they've ever had. So, you know, the, the expectations coming in were, you know, let's, let's find – you know who who are going to be you know the, the the next man up so to speak that's going to be the leader of the defense and you look at the linebacker position a guy like Darius Harris who's leading the team in tackles um, you know he he's a really good player he's a dynamic linebacker he's got a lot of athleticism and he can move around uh, but the you know the questions in the secondary especially at the safety position I don't quite think they've found the right components that they're looking for uh, and and the fact that they really haven't been getting too much pressure on the quarterback hasn't helped their cause either. So are you surprised um, that it's only a six-and-a-half-point line? I mean, look, I've had a front-row seat. I, I'm not trying to say Missouri's a great team. Uh, the only SEC game they played, uh, middle play, they lost by 23. Are you surprised by that line? Yeah, in a way I was, and then in a way I wasn't either. Um, I, I think when uh, when the guys in Vegas are looking at it, I mean, middle's going to put up points. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. Vanderbilt game was a weird game. You know, there was a, a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay in the midst of things and you know they, they had some really untimely turnovers I think they hand, they handed Vanderbilt about 20 points in that game just off of you know red zone turnovers and things of that nature so you know the game was kind of skewed there but you know I, I think when you look at the line um, you know and, and I've only obviously like you said you've had a front row seat I can only look at Mizzou on paper and you know it looks like they're giving up some yards and they're giving up some points and you know I think uh, when the guys in Vegas look at that they think a team like Middle Tennessee can come in and, and be able to move the ball and uh, you know, the big key for middle is going to be on, you know, third down conversions, which, you know, they're sitting at about 54% conversion rate this year, which is pretty high. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, from a spread perspective, I, I was assuming that it would probably start around 9, 10, honestly, and then maybe work its way down if the money line moved a little bit. But uh, so a little surprising to me, but uh, not not a shocking number. Well, that's, that's interesting that you say third down is the key because that's the uh, – Missouri's defense got better last week, but that's the one area where they've really had trouble. They haven't been able to get off the field on third down, so that's definitely something to watch. Just, uh, you know, real quickly, I don't like to put guys on the spot and ask for predictions or anything, but if Middle Tennessee is going to come in here and, and pull the upset, what are one or two things they have to do other than, you know, score in the 40s? Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to put up points for sure, you know, and I think the big key for middle in this game is going to be time of possession. Um, you know, they've got to keep the ball. You know, they can be kind of a lightning quick type of team and really score, you know, in bunches in a, you know, in a short matter of time. I think for them, the key in this game, you know, I'd like to see them slow the ball down a little bit. Um, Itavius Mathers at the running back position has been great for them. You know, if he's not getting 30 carries in this game, then 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 I think that's that's going to bode well for for Mizzou down the stretch. But I think time of possession and then the turnover game. Middle's got to find a way to to produce some turnovers and not turn the ball over. Um, they've had kind of a knack this year of of giving the ball away in some untimely uh, situations, and then. Uh, you know, talked about the defense. They're they're not exactly generating a whole lot of turnovers either. So I look at those two areas of the game, and if Middle can control the clock and, and get a turnover here and there, a nice little break in their direction, then I think it bodes well for them down the stretch, especially but, if it's a close game. That's so interesting you say time of possession because I, I haven't looked at the national stats. I'm not sure where Missouri ranks today, but, I mean, 
it's got to be incredibly low. They held the ball for all of 17 minutes at LSU. I think they managed to get it all the way up to 23 at Florida, largely because they had a 99-yard drive late where they finally ran the ball. But, I mean, the the issue up here, we've all been asking for three weeks, why are you trying to go as fast as you can and run as many plays as you can with an offense that isn't very good? I mean, it sounds like these teams might just uh, give the ball back and forth to each other like every 26 seconds in this game. This one could last six hours. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think you might be onto something there too. So, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I, I think I honestly think that's one of the the biggest keys to the game there. You know, and from a time of possession perspective, Middle's averaging uh, about 31 minutes a game in terms of holding on to the ball. So, um, that that's that's been a, a strength of theirs. But uh, I think for them to to want to win this game, they're going to need to keep Mizzou in in that same ballpark, that 17 to 20 minute range. All right. Well, man, I appreciate it, Casey. Thanks a lot for the insight to uh, to Middle Tennessee, and we'll see what happens this weekend. Sounds good, Gabe. Man, I appreciate you having me on again, and uh, yeah, let's see how it, uh, how it all shakes out. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, man. Casey Bowman, GoMiddle.com. Check it out. Um, look, Rivals, uh, uh, you guys know all about all the SEC sites, but there's a lot of smaller sites, a lot of, a lot of people that do good work, and and frankly a lot less rewarding work probably covering some of these smaller schools that i think not less rewarding that's the wrong way to put it but less noticed so uh check out his site does a good job covering middle tennessee and you'll get uh certainly more knowledge on them from him than from me obviously because uh he follows them he knows everything about that program every week we have been trying to bring a former tiger on this podcast for you guys to kind of catch up with some of the guys you've watched on the field we've had uh we've had a few guys here in in the last uh you know five six years but now uh I, i'm not trying to make them feel old but we're going into the wayback machine almost to somebody who played uh when i was in college but still got a few years uh, i still got a few years on him henry sweat former missouri linebacker joining us and henry first of all i want to say i i would have if i didn't read an article about you uh, that that talked about your nickname when you were in college. I would have called you Hank because that's what everybody knew you as. But that never actually happened until you got to Missouri and kind of caught you off guard. I read that. That is true, Gabe. Um, it, it really kind of came out of nowhere. It, it came from Kevin Johnson out of Florida. Um, he was a, a special kind of guy. <laughs> well, well, we'll go with Henry then, and uh, appreciate you joining us. And and I want to know first of all, you uh. Your redshirt freshman year at Mizzou was 2000, which was, uh, I believe, Gary Pinkle's first year. Might have been his second. But were you uh, were you recruited by Larry Smith or by Gary Pinkle? Yeah, I was actually part of Larry Smith's last class. I don't know if anybody remembers that class, but I want to say there were 27 people total in it, but only 19 of us made, actually made it to campus. Yeah, yeah. I think there was one. Was that the same recruiting class Mike Clay was supposed to be in? So Mike Clay was the class before me. Okay, because that one there were like nineteen guys, and I think only eight of them made it to campus. So it isn't. <laughs> it, it wasn't real hard to trace where maybe things got a little rough there for a couple of years. Exactly. Exactly. Now I, I loved Larry. I I covered uh, the team. He was the coach when I was in college, and I covered him. Give us a give us a good Larry Smith story, man, because I think that guy's really kind of underappreciated by Missouri fans. He took it from awful to decent. He, he did. He did. And, you know, I really didn't have much interaction with Larry Smith. I just remember his assistant coaches. And so I don't know if folks remember, um, oh, what, what was his name? So Coach Tobe was there. Mm-hmm. And then you had, um, oh, if we hadn't been talking about it, I'd be able to tell you. A- the, Andy Moeller was there for a while coaching the <laughs> offensive line, and that dude would scare you at practice. I know that. Yeah, a- Andy Moeller, Mo Pinkney, or Mo Ankney. Yeah, I mean, it was – 
it was a crazy time. Those practices were quite wild. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of structure there, but I just remember it was a physical, physical team game. Much, <laughs> much more physical. How much, uh, obviously, I mean, I know you uh, you keep up with Missouri. Is it, is it weekly basis, man? Are you pretty much, uh, pretty much still following the program real closely? Yeah, so Gabe, if you ever talk to my wife, she'll tell me if we lose, it's probably best to just leave me alone for the weekend. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm actually I host the uh, the watch party for the uh, Dallas uh, Alumni Association chapter. So that kind of helps me keep a, a calmer head. I've got to maintain composure out in public. I, I got you. Uh, again, we're talking to Henry Sweat, former Missouri linebacker, and so you're in Dallas. Just kind of update everybody what what you're doing these days, and uh, you know, did did uh, kind of what you did football? Did you do anything football wise after college, or did you pretty much immediately become like a grown up after that? <laughs> Not quite. Um, it, it was. Actually, right after college, I was all set to become a grown-up, and I got a call from Kansas City right after the draft. And they said, hey, we want you to come in and just kind of fill out the, the roster for this, this training camp that we had. So I went up there. I was there for a few days, um, and that was a class with Derek Johnson and um, uh, a couple of other guys. And I got a chance to, to see what the NFL was all about, but they, they let me go pretty soon thereafter, Gabe. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, from there, I came back to Dallas. I went to go work for Countrywide Home Loans as a mortgage loan officer. Um, I was there for about six years, and now I actually have a team of financial advisors over at Access Advisors. So we uh, work pretty closely with educators and then um, small business owners. Well, it's always it's always good to hear every now and then an athlete actually does something with his education, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we actually do study in school. We, we get a degree most of the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Now, uh uh, do you ever do you get back to Columbia much? Have you been in the last few years, or is that uh, I mean, it, work and family and everything keep you from that? Yeah, I probably get back once or twice a year. Um, I usually get back for the spring game, um, definitely, and then maybe one game a year. Mm-hmm. Who are who are some of the guys that that maybe you played with that that you still pretty close to? Uh, so from the time I was playing, I still talk quite a bit to James Kenny. Um, he, he was my roommate there for a while. And then Shardanye Mitchell and Howard Brown, those two I'm pretty close to because they were also my roommates. All right, now I, I want you to to shoot me straight on James Kinney here because, I mean, he left here with like 979 tackles. He was the, easily the leading tackler in school history. And I always thought, like, don't get me wrong, James was a good player and he was all over the place. But, like, Saturday night we would get the stat sheet and he'd have 10 tackles and then Sunday morning we'd wake up and he had like 17. What happened? <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but he did. He did seem to get an extra couple of tackles every week, right? <laughs> yeah, he, I, I don't know if that was his doing or, or Gary Pinkles, but somehow, man, that that guy he he, he was he was jumping on some piles and, and padding that record just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they, they call those JOPs. JOPs. <laughs> yeah, but no, J- James was a heck of a player. Who was who was and whether it's somebody you played with or against uh, your time in college, who who was the best player you shared a field with? Oh, I tell this story all the time, Gabe. It was actually Darren Sproles. So, okay. and you can kind of see that because he's still playing in the NFL, and he, he's not a big guy at all. I'm a pretty mm-hmm. stocky guy, but that kid—I call him a kid. Same age as me, but he was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I remember just—I uh, I hit him a couple times in the hole, and it's probably the hardest I've ever hit anybody, Gabe. And he literally got up, laughed, told me "good job," and went back to the huddle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. And I remember, I think it was that 2004 game where you guys jumped out big on, would have been your senior year, jumped out big on K-State, mm-hmm. and Sproles just, uh, Sproles kind of took over from there. Yeah, pretty much single-handedly. I, I want to say we were up by, what, 14-17 at the half, and he single-handedly brought him back. 
Yeah, no question. What uh, is there a game or a, any particular memory you kind of kind of look back when you come back to Pharrell? That's what you remember about your career. Uh, so, and it, it wasn't a game that I, I had a big game, but it, it's got to be that Nebraska game in two thousand three, right? Yeah. Um, it, it was just the the, the atmosphere. Um, the way that game unfolded, how we, we were hanging in there, and then they started to pull away a little bit towards the middle part of that game. And then it, it got pretty tense on the sidelines, and there was a defining moment there where um, it was actually James Kenny. Uh, he, uh, he got a little upset, I'll just put it mildly <laughs> there. And I, I didn't think he was going back in the game. And uh, Coach Eberflus calls down and says, no, we want him back on the field. And he pretty much turned that game around and. Um, everybody remembers Brad taking over that game, but I would say it actually started on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, there was a there was a turnover down inside the ten, and I think you guys ended up taking it away like three times in the fourth quarter. And uh, you mentioned Brad, so I want to ask you because uh, I can't even remember who who my last guest was, but he played with Brad, and we were talking about some of his best games. And to me, I, even though it was a loss. I thought the best Brad ever was was that 2002 game against Oklahoma. But I mean, y- you go back and. Did you know he was going to be what he was before the rest of us saw him? I mean, just just practicing against him? No. So, at that time, it was pretty separated in practice. And so, you know, Brad was over. um, I was still on the scout team at the time. So, he's over playing against the one and twos. And as far as I knew, Kirk Farmer was going to be our starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. So, when it came out that Brad was starting against Illinois, I was like, okay, what's going on over there? But then we, we get into that game, and he just, I mean, he's dynamite, right? So they can't stop him. He's running all over the place. And I was like, okay, this guy is special. Yeah. Yeah, I remember because uh, I, I was in South Dakota working at the time, and I remember when the news came out that Brad Smith was starting, and I said, well, hey, man, this Pinkle dude doesn't know what he's doing. He's starting some guy I never heard of as a redshirt freshman quarterback, so this isn't going to work too well. So, you know what? That's why I write about sports instead of making any decisions. <laughs> right, right. And it was crazy because Brad, he's one of those type of athletes where it's actually easier to tackle him than to, to tag him. You know, we can't touch the quarterbacks in practice. And it was a nightmare just trying to put a hand on a guy. That's crazy. Now, you came in under Larry and, and obviously played for Coach Pinkle. What what was your relationship like with Gary when you played? And, and did you keep in touch with him after you left? Um, so, again, I, I think people know this. Coach Pinkle at, at that time was much more of a CEO type of coach, so everything right. filtered down from the type and top, and it went through the, the assistant coaches. So my relationship was much more with Coach Steck, and um, I don't think this is a secret at all, but I, I love Coach Steck to death. He's done quite a bit for me in terms of just getting me into my career. But um, as the years have gone on, um, that, that summer of 2005 really changed Coach Pinkle, and he became quite a bit more accessible. Mm-hmm. To his players and former players. So great, great guy. The way he ran the program, I think it's played a large role in the person that I am today. So, Coach Steck, uh, you got some Missouri State gear down in your house now? <laughs> a little bit of that bear up stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, you follow, I mean, you still keep in touch with him and follow him pretty closely? Yeah, we text back and forth every once in a while, probably not as much as I would like. Um, but I do try and keep up with him and touch base and make sure he's doing okay up there. Yeah. Now, last thing for you again, Henry Sweat, former uh, Mizzou linebacker. All right, man, you grew up in Texas. You're a Big 12 guy. You used to play in SEC football yet? Oh, I love SEC football. It's funny because I'm here in Texas. You know, this is Longhorn and OU country here in North mm-hmm. Texas. And I, I can't tell you the last time I watched one of their games. I keep up with the stats, but I, I'm definitely an SEC guy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, hey, we get to go to new places, so I'm a big fan of that. It, it, 
Exactly, exactly. I missed LSU this year, and unfortunately, it's going to be another fourteen to fifteen years. But I, <laughs> right. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, have you have you gone to any of the road games? Any of the uh, any of the SEC stadiums? I haven't yet. I haven't. Um, but trust me, all those are on the bucket list. Yeah, two thousand eighteen Tuscaloosa. Maybe I'll see you down. <laughs> Yeah, you, I'm sure you will. My kids probably be old enough to where I can take them in, and it's not a nightmare, so that should be fun. How old are your kids now? Um, I've got a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. You got a long way to go, man. I know, I know. We'll <laughs> we'll see if we're still still living. All right, buddy. Well, hey, I appreciate you joining us. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch up down the road. All right, thanks, Kate. All right, have a good one. All right, you too. Henry Sweat, former Mizzou linebacker, and uh, you know I don't want to blow his cover. I just say if you go to Power Mizzou, you may run into him and uh, and be able to talk some football with him. Dude knows what he's talking about. And uh, one of the guys that I covered early in my career, um, coming back to Missouri, and liked to uh, liked covering Henry's career. Like I said, never knew he wasn't Hank. Glad I read the article I did before that, but. Uh, Doing well down in Dallas, and uh, glad to have him join us. Thanks to Casey Bowman from GoMiddle.com. One more pitch on the way out the door. Uh, go check out the uh, the oral history of the move from the Big 12 to the SEC. As I put on Twitter a couple days ago, retired Mike Alden somehow became a Steve Spurrier-level interview. Uh, fantastic stuff from Mike, and, and thanks to everybody else that helped us out with that story. We'll be back uh, next Thursday on the podcast. Maybe talking about a win, previewing Kentucky. We'll see how it goes, but thanks for listening and talk to you next week.